and welcome back to a fresh episode of Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, and to check out my free playbooks, podcasts, resources, or whenever you're ready to apply to work with me, head over to samdunning.org. But first, we've got to give a big shout out to our sponsor, Dealfront. Getting through to decision makers is harder than ever before. Most data tools promise the earth, but just don't deliver. Imagine your sales and marketing team could target ideal fit leads and close deals with a single tool. There's no need to imagine. Dealfront's revenue engine is built on live European data in multiple languages. Access information other platforms can't. Easily select decision makers you want to start conversations with, grab their direct cell phones and emails. Its algorithm understands the nuances in EU data, languages, culture and regulations. Dealfront draws from three layers of data, market signals, web visitors and EU company databases. The platform's built for Europe's strict compliance standards, offering transparency into how it sources data, giving you GDPR compliance other platforms just can't compete with. Grab a free demo today at dealfront.com. That's dealfront.com or visit the link in the description below. So in today's episode, we're talking about turning traffic into signups for B2B companies. I'm joined by Leah Tarin. Leah's a growth advisor over at leahtarin.com. We're going to be talking about what goes into a successful flow of turning web traffic into those juicy demos, signups, or sales calls. We're going to be talking about foundationals, what you need to be thinking about and putting into play first, some lesser known ideas about turning traffic into sales pipeline and a little bit about MQLs versus sales qualified leads. Leah, welcome to the show. Why not give us a quick intro to yourself and we'll jump straight in. Good morning. Thank you so much, Sam. I am so excited. That introduction was so good. I would love to listen to it myself. But uh, yeah, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy <laughs> recording the episode with you. My name is Leah Tarin. I am a growth advisor, as you already said. More importantly, I've been part of two hypergrowth startups. And, um, well, as an early employee and then grew with those, I've been a head of product and now I got tired of the entire corporate world. So now I'm just telling them how to do things right. And uh, that's what I do right now. So I tell B2B companies, usually scale ups on how to get growth right now. Sounds like a, a fun role to be in right now. Yeah, I did it for 25 years. It's good enough now, right? Like <laughs> now I know enough to make money with it. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So let's jump straight in as we always do. Um, we we have a bunch of marketers, founders, and all kinds of execs that tune into the show. I want to try and get actionable about how we can turn their traffic into to pipeline. And that means different things to different companies, right? We've got PLG companies, we've got companies that want to run demos for their sales team, and some some smaller businesses that are perhaps bootstrapped in between that. So this this could go this could go anywhere, but what actually goes into a successful campaign when it comes to turning that traffic, whether ever, wherever it's come from, into a healthy flow of signups or demos yeah. for our Salesforce? So this is this is the one million one billion dollar question, right? So like, if I can give you now an easy framework, that's going to be the last show that everybody streams, and then you know we're we're both going to retire. There we go. So I think. In general, you always have to zoom out a little bit. So what is the grander purpose of a company? Of course, it's about making revenue without pissing everyone off, of course, at the same time. So we want to make long-term revenue in some kind of way. And 
when you kind of separate it and look at it in this way, then you might think, okay, so we're going to get some traffic in, we're going to convert this traffic, and then we make money. Of course, we also need to have a product and we need to have something that is keeping people in because otherwise it's just going to be short-term revenue. And this is my first kind of gripe that I have because I'm coming traditionally from a product side. So I've been a head of product. I've been a product manager all my life. I've not been a marketer first. I've always been a marketer second. And if you think about it in this way, what we see now much more and more and more happening is, is that all companies are trying to escape up market. So they try to make more money per account, specifically when they're in B2B, to make money from like, you know, one specific account. At the mm. same time, we have more and more solutions that are addressing the same problems with the same kind of markets. And that means it's a different word for commoditization, right? So like people are paying less for the same kind of offering that you have to do. So you need to also expand your offering if you want to do this. But let's say you do that. Let's say you manage to create a product that is really good, that is allowing you to go a little bit up market and you have your salespeople ready to deal with all the MQLs, all the marketing campaigns that you're going to, that you are going to create. One of the first things that I see when I advise these companies usually is that marketing is extremely siloed off. So it is a function historically, and it kind of makes sense that it's very limited to top of funnel. Right. So we're thinking about, so how much, how much traffic can we bring? And these are usually also the incentives. So if you want to figure out the character of a company, you usually look at their incentives. And what do I mean with that? What I mean is if you look at how a marketing team is structured and if they're measured on the amount of leads that they bring and you see how these leads are defined, then you can tell very quickly because people are really good in optimizing whatever you give them whether these leads are actually tied to quality or just quantity. Now, as a very early stage startup, it kind of works. If you just bring something in, something's going to convert. Yeah. The fundamental question is, is like, if you want to have a business that scales, these leads still need to have a specific quality for the dollars that you spend. So you can also repeat it afterwards, upwards. What do I mean now with that? What I mean is let's take the most extreme example of low traffic that has to score high. And that is if you want to close enterprise customers. So you cannot bring millions of people in. You can maybe bring three to 400 people onto your website, whereas one of those is maybe a potential buyer that then is going through. What we see more and more and more happening is that these companies are starting to wise up. So if you sell to an enterprise um, market, you usually have salespeople. Of course, that makes sense. You cannot sure. do everything serve so what do we start to see we see companies now coming up that are serving a very important market need which is interactive demos and these interactive demos they're not actual product trials they're not freemiums they're just representations of these particular products that are coming in so how does this now connect now with marketing let's say you have a marketing campaign that is running and you have a very specific budget and i tell you i want you to bring me that many mqls that are doing a very specific action inside that interactive demo. And that action is not like, oh, I want to schedule a sales call. It has to be something else. Then we're getting closer to what we talk about when we say, hey, you need to measure your marketing traffic by the quality. Because there are a lot of steps in an enterprise buyer's process between I heard about your product and now I want to talk to a salesperson to I now I'm going to close this contract. 
there can be months from the very first touch point to the end. I'm sure you also talked about this quite a lot, you know, like last attribution, first touch point, all of this, all of this crap. Sure. We need to kind of find steps beforehand that we can identify and say like, hey, someone that is really interested in our product, someone that is really loving the stuff that we do would only be doing this particular action. For instance, you know, visiting a very specific site, I don't know, terms of services or like reading through the legal documents that we have on top, SLAs, that kind of stuff. And if we can tie it to that, then you can start to create meaningful marketing campaigns because then I can mm. actually ask myself, how many dollars did I spend per interested, I wouldn't call it a buyer, but you know, like per interested user of a potential enterprise account that was doing a very specific action. That is much more correlative than saying like, oh, we just funnel people to sales calls. There are a lot of problems with setting goals like this. Mm. That's interesting. I've not thought about that before. That's a really yeah. interesting point, especially enterprise dealer. Like if, if if they got so far as going on to the terms of service or a similar page. Yeah, let me let me ask you probably... let me ask you a question. So let's say you are a marketer inside of a company like this and you have to run a really big um really big campaign. And I'm incentivizing you to optimize for sales calls. And let's say you're good friends with the people who are creating the interactive demos, or you are even sometimes also marketing is sometimes also creating these interactive demos with an agency, mm. right? Like just as an example, what can you do that is harmful to the company, but good for your goals that is driving up the sales calls? You can start to take away what? What can you start to take away from these demos? What is pushing people to sales calls? inputting their data or grabbing can, their data exactly you could start like you could just you could just remove stuff right so like you could say like hey i'm not going to show you pricing anymore this is pushing sales calls it is of course it is but the problem is a sales call is not an indication that the customer is successful and that is a problem because a sales call is not driving specifically business value it's not true so when you're actually bringing in um, a pricing page or like, you know, transparent pricing. It is, it is still difficult for a lot of enterprise customers. Mm. What we are essentially doing is we're driving down the amount of sales calls. That is true. Is it bad for the business? No, it's not. Because those that do call, you will often see that they are pre-qualified. You don't have these difficult conversations with, oh, so how much is this going to cost? Yeah, 25,000 per month, eh, it's over our budget, right? So like the entire conversation starts to shift. So you're pre-qualifying your traffic. And this is what I mean with you have to look at goals and incentives for marketing, for sales, for product holistically um, mm. on what you want to reach. So do not pick uh, revenue goals as operative team goals. Specifically, when you're a smaller company, this should be relatively easy to do. Um, as a founder, you probably don't have this problem, but as soon as you have 10, 20 people, be careful what you wish for, we usually yes. say. Well, to a certain extent you do, but if you're a bootstrap founder, then you're running, probably running the marketing yourself, or you've got an assistant or you've got yeah. someone else on your team. Maybe there's three of you and you're all splitting tasks and responsibilities, whatever that may be. So a certain extent, you're probably thinking in your head, if what I'd like to do as well, take this a bit lower market, i.e. startup or mid-market basis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you say, you're probably still saying, well, we need I don't know, to run 20 sales call this month because we know one in four of those is going to close to a sale. Therefore, we need this amount of leads coming in 
So then yeah. we can know we're going to hit this amount of revenue. So it still works. It just means you don't have a dedicated marketer running it. You're running it yourself. So that is true. But here's an interesting, so here's an interesting thought experiment. So let's say you were this founder, right? And let's say you can control yourself and you're not manipulating your own revenue. Of course not, right? So like, why would you do that? Like you're still interested in getting good quality traffic into the company. I mean, nobody is just sabotaging their own business. So what do you do as you scale? As you scale or you get bigger, your company becomes successful. You as a founder have to teach someone else on how to sell, right? So like you go from founder-led sales, you're going to go to teaching someone else to sell. That is still very directly connected to the founder, right? It's relatively close, but you're starting to get removed because you're not going to be part of these sales calls anymore. As you go even bigger, you have to teach people how to teach selling. And how do you make sure that someone that is now removed to kind of structure generations, if you want to call it that, how do you make sure that they are selling in the spirit that you want it to be in the company? We're doing this through incentives. And the more you are removed in these bigger mm. companies, the more these incentives actually start to matter. It's not because people want to abuse you. It's just if you tell a salesperson, for instance, you're going to get money, the more the higher the contract is that you're going to get in then they're going to bring you the big contract, even if it's detrimental for the customer, even if it's detrimental for the customer. And then you have short-term revenue and you have mad uh, clients two, down, two years down the line. It's a great point. Yeah, that is, that is zooming out properly, isn't it? Because that's really thinking, because this, this mindset, thinking, do we want to maximize demos, sales calls, signups depending on whether a product like growth motion or sales yeah. motion whatever because then like you say your your marketing team whether that's yourself or whether you have got marketing execs they're going to be pumping out either with the focus of maximizing those inbounds or maximizing qualified inbounds that kind of hit your ideal client profile um, and yeah. have, have the cash to deal with you and understand your process understand who can help therefore giving you better sales inbounds but it's what you're pushing for which is Really interesting. So is that the is that the first point that you need to think about before you even consider kind of how you're structuring your website content and pages and in your opinion in terms of how you're dealing um, with the traffic? I think what incentives are for scale ups are for early stage founders very good ICP definitions. So I would say that so like if you talk about ideal customer profiles, so who is our target audience that we're gonna market for? Everybody that has ever done marketing or a product for that matter knows the more narrow and the more accurate your ICP definition is, the easier your job gets. Of course, right? Like it's easy to get really good traffic if you know who, to whom you talk, because then I can say, hey, this is not just a podcast for people. This is a podcast for B2B founders um, in marketing in very specific uh, markets in a very specific language. It becomes more relevant to this particular target audience. And I would say, I'm not sure whether this is particularly your question, but I would say, if there is something that we over-index or like where we are, where we, where we in general can do a better job as early stage founders, then it is to become more narrow. So we tend to usually be too broad in our messaging. We are always afraid of narrowing down. But what you have to understand is, is that even if you're just selling or messaging to a very specific crowd, 
you might not even scare off some other people that are a little bit standing on the side, you know, like that don't fit your ICP perfectly. They will still, you know, like, I don't know, if you're selling a car, there are still people who are buying it and then use it as a taxi, right? Like there's always these adjacent use cases, but you still might be still manufacturing and messaging to a very specific crowd. Mm. Um, and that is just incredibly important because sometimes you need to intently say like, no, we're selling to this particular crowd. Everyone else who's coming in and is giving us money is fine. But this is what we do. And and nailing this land and expand motion, you know, like being really, really good for one particular audience is saving you money. It gives you some very important numbers about efficiency um, that then you can use for other campaigns. I'll give you a good example. So let's say you make a marketing campaign in some kind of area where you have different target groups. So let's say you are, I don't know, uh, a bank that has different kind of verticals that they are advertising to, you know, um, beauty salons and truckers and or something else, whatever. If you just message to everyone at the same time, you don't really know which kind of group is reacting to what kind of efficiency. But let's say you do this for every vertical independently, right? So like we have a specific messaging for this group and we have a specific messaging for this. That means you have to do more work on the marketing side, but you will also know what is the kind of, what, what does a good performance look like? It's more likely that in one specific segment, you will see good performance. We all want to sit on one, on this one keyword, you know, that is ruling all of them. I know, I get it. I get it, but it is super hard, right? So like try to conquer a few of them. Um, I know you also spoken on this topic quite a, quite a few times, right? So like focus on very specific keywords and topics and master those so you know the performance before you go to anything else. And so, I think I think that's important. Yeah, this, this isn't going where I, I expect it, but it's very interesting. I mean, found, I think it's something that founders and marketers in general get hung up a lot on, don't they? they a lot of people seem very very scared to niche down and no. pick a specific audience that is going to be their idle client profile and maybe even pick a specific subsector of that audience because they think it's going to repel yeah. the masses when really what it does is it actually shows that in my experience anyway it shows that you're specialized for this one audience and you can help them very well but quite often when you do that anyway you still get a bunch of inquiry sales opportunities for all those other sectors that you thought you were going to scare the hell out of um yeah. still come to you anyway so it's it's rare that i've seen kind of niching down with your message with your target audience with the sector be a bad thing um, yeah. i'm not sure if you've ever seen a company do it in a bad way i think i've never seen a company that was too specific hmm. i always try to tell them you know like hey you have to be a little bit more brave you know like to get there and maybe to just draw a circle back to your original question. So how do we drive more signups for any of this? Um, if you start to be confident in one smaller segment and you can really think about, okay, it's maybe not about whether we get a thousand signups or 2000 signups. Why don't you reframe the question as how do we make sure that we're going to get a specific amount of signups from a very specific vertical or topic for a specific amount of money? because that is going to then change um, what you do with your budgets. So let's say you have $2,000 this month for this particular vertical. And let's say the goal is to have 100 signups. 
depending on where you market, this is quite a lot or it's very little, right? And as we go on, then we can also, we can tune for performance. We can say like, hey, as long as you stay in this particular domain, try to make sure that you get more for the money that, 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 that we give you, right? It's going to be always $2,000. So what did you make last month? Did you have 50 signups, 60 signups? Okay, then we try to do next month's 70 signups and so forth. So mm. at least now we have fixed the, the incentivizations to be more efficient because in businesses, the question is never like, how do we get to 1 million revenue? That is the easiest thing in the world. It is. If you spend 2 million, I can give you 1 million back. That's not hard, right? So the question is always like, how efficient can you make this? And I think it is much easier to drive more meaningful signups for the amount of dollars that you spend if you specialize in something, because then you also start to know this particular vertical, you know, like what kind of messaging do they respond to? Um, maybe we can even hire someone with domain experience in this particular thing. That is driving more signups sometimes than frameworks where we just say like, okay, you know, like yeah, this is how you do keyword optimization or this and that. All these optimization frameworks are good. I'm not knocking any of these. Um, but the conversation is a completely different one. If you, and I'm pretty sure you also dealt with this. Like if you have clients that know really well with whom they talk to because they did a lot of research and they know intimately who with whom you're dealing with, your job becomes so much easier. Mm. Yes, that's an interesting one in terms of domain experience. What if it's should do you think let, let's take it back to the kind of founder led approach? Yeah. What if should it be something the founder has got hands on experience with in terms of when they're choosing their the sector they want to double down on in this kind of particular audience and segment that they're going to say, right, this is the main source of traffic initially. I'm going to double down on. I've set, this is my kind of sign up or lead goal. And this is my ad spend or marketing spend per month. And this is what I need to yeah. get in terms of to hit that realistic revenue goal per month. Should it then be something they've got direct domain experience in if it is just them or likewise, they could, could get a marketing hire, but that's on the basis they've got the revenue to do such. I tend to, I think I know what your opinion on this is. And I, th I think I tend to agree with it in the sense that, look, to some degree, you need to have some kind of domain experience. It does not need to be in the past, right? Like you can also achieve domain experience by really sitting together with your customers and prospects and really try to understand what they do, what they do. But it is quite dangerous to outsource at least the start knowledge that you need to have in your industry to someone else, whether that's an agency or a marketing hire or whatever. But if you do it, then at least hire the person in like first, right? So like, I'm not a big fan of like outsourcing everything. Mm. Um, because like also if I get hired, I'm not going to be more knowledgeable than my clients in their specific domain. That is a huge problem if they, if they, if they expect me to know more because if they, if I don't work with them anymore, the knowledge is kind of gone. I'm more knowledgeable on growth frameworks probably and how to drive, you know, a strategy to kind of bring this down to the ground. But you need to go out and you need to intimately understand what the pain points are of the people that you're talking to. If you don't, then you don't know how a good strategy will look like. And you cannot also like, then you can also not challenge it. That's the other thing, right? So like, we don't need to do everything by ourselves, but we need to know what a good solution looks like. And, mm. and that also goes for messaging, by the way. Right. Mm. So yeah, that, I mean, it's, it's mostly what I'd say. Um, 
but that's we've kind of teed it up quite nicely. So we've we've kind of you've given a bit of a framework so far in terms of understanding what what you're optimizing for, understanding what a decent performance is, setting aside a budget, um, going into kind of a specific audience and subsector, and you've mentioned kind of knowing their core pain points. One, are, this, are these like foundational things? And then we say, all right, let's throw this in terms of the messaging and the core pages into a into a website that this traffic is going to hit. Or when you're advising companies on on this kind of stuff, what at what point do we kind of relay this into what the traffic's actually going to see when they come onto our site? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think the most important thing before you do anything is, is you need to get your tracking in order. I cannot tell you how... Sometimes companies are overcomplicating this and then they, do, they, don't, they don't do anything. So what I mean with that is you, if you pay attention to the most basic things when it comes down to tracking, so traffic attribution, where does stuff come from, what was the messaging back then, how can we look at the data and so forth, then you don't need to have it analyzed immediately. But at least gather it first properly. Right. Because if I even if I engage someone like you afterwards, you know, like after six months, hey, Sam, this is the stuff that we've been doing and so forth. If you have this data available, it's going to help you massively. It's going to help you loads. You're going to see like, hey, how did people inter uh, interact with a specific message and so forth? And specifically, if you talk about these top of funnel um, um, channels like um, SEO or paid advertising or whatever, I can experiment with those quite a lot without having a product that is geared towards them, right? So like specifically at the start. So let's say I want to try out different messagings for three different sectors and they're completely wildly different. Like we have a hypothesis that this particular messaging is going to work or it's going to be, no, we're going to highlight something completely different, you know, like a different problem or whatever. I can set up a test with this without having to have my product adopted to this whatsoever. But for that, I need to make a proper A-B test. So I'm a big fan of really running it uh, in parallel. So you can adjust for seasonality. That's very, very important. Because okay. imagine imagine you run a, a test in um, US markets while the school holidays are starting. You might be seeing low conversions all across the board. And just because you separated your campaigns, you know, like one of them was running before the school holidays and then one after you start to have deteriorating performance. So I think in the very simplest sense, do some A-B testing, no matter how good that your idea sounds in your head, you're more likely going to be wrong anyways. I know that I've been wrong with in 70% of the cases on the 300 experiments that I did at SmallPDF over like three, three years. And, um, yeah, just just half half the data gathering um, set up correctly, but you don't need to overcomplicate uh, overcomplicate the analysis right away. Someone that is a pro can take that afterwards as well. But I think uh, yeah, setting setting up tracking is just like that's the A and O. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So you can actually measure what's working, what's not. Um, let's. Uh... Let's try and make this quite actionable. So let's say everything we've discussed so far is perhaps for a SaaS company. And in their case, they're trying to feed, I don't know, maybe they've got a very, maybe they've got like one or two sales reps. That they want to feed demos. Um, 
And let's say it doesn't really matter what space they're in, mm-hmm. but let's say they are in some kind of tech space. Perhaps they are a very first thing that's come to my mind is CRM. So they're very, very niche down CRM though. So they're not no. doing like a traditional CRM for, I don't know, for tech salespeople, but maybe they're doing it for like, I don't know, biotechnology or some really obscure science. So they're in a, they're in a, not a massively competitive category. They've gone after a really niche audience. And I don't even know if this audience is going to have any demand or, but that doesn't matter because this is just an example. Now, what are, are there, um, in terms of how they're, they've got their tracking set up, like you recommended, so they can AV test messaging. They can see what actually works, the traffic that's coming in, how it's um, affecting on the site and what's what's converting, what's not. But we know traditional SaaS sites will have pages like, I don't know, home about, maybe they'll have pricing. Some will share it, some won't. Some will have a live demo. Some will gate a live demo. Um, yeah. Some will have a few testimonials. And then like you say, your classic, get a demo, call to action, top right. And then... Uh, form some will some will be kind of really light on content maybe only have five to seven pages some will be huge with a ton of resources blogs podcasts video section video library and more like is there a kind of standard framework that you recommend to these companies when you're advising them that you, this is what the setup should be is it like go mvp first and scale it out or how do you think businesses should kind of go when they're actually constructing these sites there is um Let's say, so you are very early stage, right? So like the way that you just also described it. Um, and a good frame of mind to have here is, is if you separate it into three stages. If you take the product or growth approach or like SaaS or like a classical SaaS business on how you build it up, you usually have three things that you go through. First, you need to kind of prove that you can bring some people. That's the easiest part. So like we have some kind of value proposition through your marketing campaign, I have some kind of messaging, I can start to optimize this. This is usually your CTR, right? So like that's the click-through rate. Um, if your messaging does not work, then people are not gonna click through it. And there's just a specific um, conversion rate that just does not work anymore because no matter how many of those people you would convert afterwards into paid customers, it's just not gonna work. So that's just in the first place, right? So. We can already, without having monetization on our site, you know, figured out, you know, like, because people are also wondering, like, so how much should I charge and so forth? You need to first get this first step done in terms of how many people can I bring in for how many dollars? This was the first part of your original question, right? So like, how many signups can I get? The second part is, let's say the signups are the gate to use the product in the first place. Then you can start to build out your product. What we then want to test is we want to test how many of these people that we just brought in through these signups can we actually retain over 30 days or eight weeks after a specific amount of uh, usage or time. And then once we have that proven, only then, and this is most of the time the case, for free, which is most like, you know, like if you have self-serve or whatever, trial, demo, whatever, if you can retain people over that stage, then you can start to optimize your monetization. Because if you start to optimize your monetization or think about the oaks, you know, like what should we say in the marketing campaign, how expensive it is and so forth. If you cannot excite people about your value proposition for free, then we have another problem. There are some examples of companies where they said that the product is free. And once they started to charge money, log me in, for instance, is one of those, logmein.com. 
they actually made more, like they had better signups once they said that it costs something because people didn't believe them it's going to be free or some luxurious projects, you know, like uh, watches and stuff, you know, like they want to have a specific mm. price. But aside from those, um, you want to go through these steps first. Can I bring free users in some kind of, for some kind of amount of dollars? Can I retain a specific amount? And then I can start to monetize because these steps are kind of independent from each other. Mm. Should that always be the way? Not always. Absolutely not, because it depends also like to whom you sell, of course. I was going to say, if I'm, and I understand this, like if I'm a SaaS company and I've got some funding and I've got cash in the bank, then by all means I can do that approach and I can kind of check my products working for eight weeks with free signups. Now, if I'm on the flip side though, if I'm bootstrapped, I might not have the runway to, let's pretend I've got a decent product, so I'm hoping it is, but if, if I'm trying to get people in for free for eight weeks, and trying to kind of test that thesis. Well, I'd imagine it's yeah. So just just to be clear, right? So like this does not mean that you wait for eight weeks for any results or whatever. But like we also have some leading indicators. So for instance, you have most of the people that are dropping off are within the first day. It's just one of this, right? So like we know that 65, 70% of people are just not coming back. And it can still start to kind of optimize around this. Um, but and you can do some of these things also in parallel, of course. But the fact of the matter is, even if you're bootstrapped, even if you have the best founders, even if you have the best brains on any product, it's going to take you two years on average to find product market fit. That includes what you do on marketing, that includes what you do on the product, and that includes on what you do on the pricing. Look, monetization, you can always optimize. You will always kind of kind, kind of find some kind of price, you know, like, can we go a little bit up? Can we should, should we go a little bit down? You know, like, this is going to move the needle a little bit. But again, if you mess up the marketing, if you cannot get an initial amount of people in that you then can also get in the future, and that can also be sometimes leveraged through salespeople that are going out and generate initial demand, which I'm also a big fan of, by the way, as a marketing uh, thing, then everything is for nothing, right? And that's the thing, especially if you are bootstrapped. Mm. As you said, as a founder, you are sometimes doing everything yourself. Yeah. And that's why you have to wear the sales hat sometimes, sometimes marketing and so forth. So that, yeah, that's just the nature of the business. Yeah. Got it. So this exercise is basically to prove that our product can retain customers and keep them inside using it. Yeah. Because if we don't, then we are forever trapped in this short-term loop that just kills a lot of companies. It's just like, okay, we know how we can get another $50 in the next month, but then the month after these people are starting to churn. And I think if you want to have one more tip of this, of course, is that resist the urge to just put in more at the top. I've seen so many small stage companies who spent like $1,000 on a campaign and then they kind of thought, hmm, well, maybe we have to double the budget. Let's see what happens. But it is un un unless you invest into something that has compound interest, you know, like SEO optimizations or content that, you know, like is starting to compound over time for paid advertising, that usually the, your performance does not go up. It just does not go up. It, it, if anything, if you start to spend more money at some point, it actually goes down. So try to find something that performs well, at least in the initial smaller numbers. Mm. 
and then you know try to build up from there i would say so again it is about efficiency it's not about can we get 500 dollars the question is always like how little can we spend to get the 500 dollars before we then go further and so forth got it from a sign up basis do you think that we should aim once we've let's say we've proven that we can retain prospects is then do we try and push them to go on a paid version? Do we do you recommend you keep it kind of free for life? And then once they've perhaps hit a cap that we've set in place, whether that is on their own usage, yeah. signups, et cetera, then they're naturally going to be pushed towards a paid member or request to speak to sales, depending on what the flow of our model yeah, is. Yeah, this is the eternal question of whether you should do a freemium, a trial or an interactive demo. And unfortunately, the answer is always like it depends. Mm -hmm. In general, the way that we used to do it at small PDF, I think was, was really, really good for, I would say the majority of companies. So you have some kind of free version of your product and let's say, so small PDF was for managing documents, you know, like processing PDFs, that kind of stuff. So what is the freemium in there? It means that you can use almost the entire platform for free, but not over a specific amount of usage. So we're starting to do, to limit usage. And what that means is, is that as soon as you want to process more than two documents per day, then you get a banner which says, hey, you need to sign up for a paid trial. Now, this particularly paid trial, you have to enter your credit card, right? Like this is a lot of friction that is now coming towards this. And uh, then you are in this trial. And then if you don't cancel it after seven days, which is usually time limited for a lot of the B2C and lower B2B markets, then you're being converted into a paying customer. You need to be aware though, that most of the people that will sign up and this is normal this is what we talk about when we talk about performance they will cancel again why because as soon as you have a paid trial people want to just try it out and then they see that it doesn't work and then they go again but we usually have some kind of numbers that you can go with so like so good performance numbers so for instance i talk about anything that is above one percent in a b2c market so like from a thousand visitors that we're going to get in to paid is really, really good. That is really, really good. So, you know, you can have anything from 0.1% to 1% conversion rate to paid. That is already quite good. In B2B, that number is not good. There you talk about five to 7% in enterprise, maybe you have 20%. Now, why do we end up with a number like 20%? We know that in average, an enterprise company is going to go through four to five different software solutions that they're going to go and reevaluate really, really deep before they make a decision. They just don't have the capacity that much um, to behave like B2C customers who are just like Googling something, you know, they go and then they're, they're, they're gone. It's just not happening. And you also don't have that much solutions to compete against. Yeah. 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 Um... As we, as we wrap things up, are there any big errors that you see when it comes to acquiring signups? Like we've talked about kind of using eight weeks to prove that the, the product is something that customers enjoy using and are happy with and find value in. Are there any kind of big mistakes that companies that yeah. you see all the time in that flow that what you, I, think you need to avoid? What I have seen some companies trying to do is to copy strategies from bigger enterprises that are quite disastrous. So a good example is to offer incentivization for signups. So you give some, I'm, I'm not talking against, hey, 
maybe I am. I don't know. Like, but like you, you, you get a free month if you're doing this on top, right? And so forth. Right. And like, hey, if you invite Sam number two, then you're gonna get this and so forth. It's very dangerous to have a system that can be gamified because people will do it, and that's not because people are bad natured. It's just that if somebody can save money, then they will do it. And uh, I would say that's probably one of the biggest ones. Try not to force customer success, at least in the start by incentivizing people. Don't give them money to engage with your product. Um, you want to find some kind of number that is without paying other people to love your stuff. Mm. Interesting one, isn't it? Because some uh, B2B SaaS are big for incentives. I'm not sure if you meant quite this way, but I don't know, the classic $100, $150 Amazon gift card to take a demo. And some companies, I think it was... a directive a digital marketing company said it actually worked effectively for them um but that's the only time i've ever seen a company say it actually worked well in a profitable manner i've heard a lot of negative things there are there are so many ways in how this can go wrong but with enterprise um and you they're they probably also structured it in a specific way that something else needs to happen right so like they need to sit through the entire demo or something whatever and they also have some bad traffic and so forth but essentially what you're doing is you're trying to bribe someone <laughs> to bring oh, yeah. a software into the enterprise i'm a little bit skeptical um i think you can do it if you have a really big company and you can also control and make sure that look you know i mean this is a good thing but you're not going to score a thirty thousand dollar contract with a hundred dollar demo for sure not that's not happening mm. yeah i can see i can see it as an experiment like if you put aside a few thousand dollars and just say look with these warm accounts that have engaged on our website x amount of times and they hit our icp all right we're going to experiment with maybe not Amazon gift card, but something unique that gives them a bit of an incentive to maybe tip them over the edge. I can see that that might do something. So, but yeah, so that's, that's a good my point. only thought. So let's say you have an amazing product where you can blow people away in five seconds. Like, hey, you did not know that this is possible. You know, like you have really like, you know, like these, these, these five to 10 second pitches that are just like, I did not know a product for this kind of exists. There, I give it to you. I kind of see like, okay, you know what? This is actually quite clever. Let's do it. But uh, yeah, but giving away free socks on a on a, no. on a on a sales booth somewhere and then say like, oh, this is an MQL. It's kind of weird. <laughs> it's like, or an SQL. It's just not weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one, one final one. Is there a proven def- difference between an MQL and an SQL for yourself? And if so, what is it? Um, I use PQLs, which are product qualified leads. And the difference in there is, is that we try to qualify stuff by behavior and a product qualified lead could be exactly what I said at the start, right? So like they do specific things in your product, like they, Hey, they have visited the terms of certain pages or they have uh, contacted sales or they're using the product successfully, whatever, you know, like they start to gather points and if they go over a specific threshold, then they're qualified. Um, but to address your actual question. What's the difference is, I think MQLs are still too fuzzy defined. Like there's no scientific definition of what an MQL really is or like what is a good one. Whereas SQLs are very well understood on the acquisition side in terms of like, um, like sales is very, very good in separating these deal stages, you know, like they're warm, they're super warm, super cold, this, this stuff and so forth. And I wish we would be more successful in starting to uh, 
like attribute these shades of gray to customer success rather than just like buying journey. Do you know what I mean? Right. So like how long does it take for someone to use your product successfully? What is the okay. first step? Right. So like when is the aha moment of something? When do they go like, oh my God, this is so amazing. When is it a eureka moment? When do they become fans? When do they go like, mm. I need to talk to a salesperson? And these in-between steps, we can also measure through actual, um, you know, engagement behavior. More That's what we call product led sales. Mm. Yeah, we call this product led sales. That's basically the entire theory behind product led sales. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very much appreciate the conversation. Enjoyed the back and forth. Thanks very much for sharing your ideas on all things turning traffic to signups. So with that, Thank please do tell everyone. Me. Yeah, no worries. We have to have to get you on for a V2 at some stage. Um, but yeah, please do share more about how everyone tuning in can connect with you, learn more and send yeah. anyone where you want to send them. People can just go to my website, which is www or like www.leadarin.com. It's just my first name and my last name.com. And, uh, yeah, I do so much stuff that I'm not even going to list it, but I have a podcast. I have courses. I do a lot of stuff for free. So, uh, check it out and, um, yeah. That's where you find me. And usually also in your comments, because when I have time, I also start to engage with your stuff, which I really like. So I'm very I'm glad, glad someone's we... commenting on my LinkedIn posts. And no, come on. I'm very, I'm very... <laughs> You're one of the people that, that I met when, uh, you know, a year ago when we kind of started to embark on this journey as well. And I'm very grateful to have met you too. Yeah, likewise. Uh, likewise. Well, um, yeah, thanks again, Leah. We shall put all of those links in the show notes at businessgrowth.marketing so you can check them out. Got to give a shout out to our sponsor, dealfront.com, the go-to-market platform for GDPR compliant leads for yourselves and marketing team there at dealfront.com. If you enjoyed the show, a rating or review on Apple goes a long way or subscribe on YouTube. We'll catch you on the next one for more no BS B2B marketing tips to grow your revenue. Cheers for tuning in.